a big hello and a Texas-sized welcome to the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. We're so glad to join us today. Uh, I'm Josh Roller here in Charlotte, and joining me on the other end of this Skype telecommunications call in Indianapolis is Mr. Rob Peters, who is enjoying uh, some uh, children's food, as he as he alluded to a few moments ago. I, yes, I am throwing you underneath. I, I, I am throwing you underneath the bus this early. I'm sorry. This is goldfish. not fair. I'm just sitting here eating my goldfish, just <laughs> listening to Josh do the intro, and he just totally like attacks me. Like we are starting off this way. All right. I, I, well, I, I just I need a minute. I need a minute. Josh, finish your intro. You're NASCAR, and I'm the drivers. That's what we're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I know. I haven't taken a dig at anyone here in a bit. So sorry, Rob. You were uh, in my crosshairs for that one. Uh, but you know what? We're still going to be friends at the end of this. I know because we've argued plenty on this show. Uh, there are two races that we'll talk about today. Um, but even though there's two, they were loaded with stuff to talk about throughout. Uh, Noah Gragson tied Sam Art for the, for the most consecutive race Races one, and that's at four in the NASCAR Xfinity Series. He's the new Mr. September as he swept the Xfinity races here in 2022 in this past, uh, or this month right here. September is coming to a close. Uh, Now we'll talk about some comments uh, that he made after that race about the Cup cars. Plus on Sunday, the Cup Series set a new record for cautions at Texas. And it had a lot to do with the right rear tire. Whose fault is it? And did William Byron spend Denny Hamlin intentionally? Did NASCAR miss a penalty with Ty Gibbs? Well, Rob and I will give our two cents on uh, on these topics and more later in the show. But for now, we got a jam-packed news segment. We're a little over two minutes here into the show. Rob, wind down that music. There we go. Wind it down. Now I'm going to throw the keys at you uh, through the tele- this telecommunications call to... The new segment, Rob Bryson Report. Yeah, hello everybody. Uh, when I'm not being attacked by Josh in an intro, I'm usually reading the news. So I will start with the news today with Formula One because there's a decent amount of Formula One news to talk about since the last show um, last week. Uh, Alpha Tauri will retain Yuki Sonoda for the 2023 season, but who his teammate will be is currently unknown. Um, we know, as we already reported last week, that... Uh, Colton Herta will not be running in Formula One next year. He was not given a super waiver license. Ergo, Sonoda is going to keep his seat. But uh, the future of Pierre Gasly at AlphaTauri is up in the air. Uh, Nicholas Latifi confirmed that he will not return to Williams Racing in 2023. His departure leaves unconfirmed or possible open seats at Williams, AlphaTauri, Alpine, Alfa Romeo, and Haas. So Formula One silly season is nowhere near done, um, despite the fact that we are in what is it? we are going into what is going is now like the final half of the season. You know, this is the end yeah. of the season. We're coming into that, and there's still a lot of silly season news to be to be determined. So it'll be interesting to watch watch that space and how it goes uh, throughout the next couple months. Um, as I initially, uh, as I already discussed, the FIA uh, officially confirmed that it had denied Colton Herta a super license waiver. Red Bull team principal Christian Horner expressed his desire to see IndyCar drivers have an easier path to reach Formula One. I mean, I agreed wholeheartedly with him uh, in last 
last week's show. If you had, if you didn't listen to my rant about this in last week's show, please please take a listen to it if you have if you get the opportunity. But basically, um, Sparks Note version is the FIA doesn't respect IndyCar as a professional racing series, um, and I don't think they really respect any other uh, racing series as a professional racing series outside of their own um, Formula One, just because. If they're denying Colton Herta's super license waiver, I think they'll deny it to anybody who comes from any other form of racing, not just IndyCar. You know, if, if let's say, not that it would happen, but let's say Kyle Larson gets a, a chance to an F1 test and gets signed to it. This, this is not going to happen. I am, this is not going to happen, by the way. I am speaking purely hypothetically. This is not going to happen. But if, let's say Larson got signed to that, I don't think that they would let him in either, despite the fact that he's a NASCAR champion and despite the fact that he has numerous wins and multiple other levels of competition. He's, he's started sports car races and, and, and sprint car races and, and, and stock car races and, and everything. Um, I, I don't think they would let him in either. I don't think it necessarily matters who you are. I think it's it's the FIA kind of saying, you know, unless you run come through our ladder you don't matter and you're not a legitimate race car driver and that's what it comes down to that's the spark notes version of what i said last week um we'll discuss this later in the show this next piece of news here but the fia did release the 2023 f1 world championship calendar uh this week past this past week the season will begin on march 5th at bahrain and will conclude in abu dhabi on november 26th the season will consist of a record of 24 races which is the current cap per the Concord Agreement. It includes two triple headers of Imola, Monaco, and Barcelona, and the United States, Mexico, and Brazil, which is not bad if you're uh, considering it's a flyaway series triple header. It's probably easier and more cost-effective to get do that as a triple header than it would be to have that not as a triple header and have to try, probably fly back to and from Europe, you know? I'm sure um, you have your two cents to give on triple headers. I will have mine. In Later, in that case, you know. in that case of a triple header, I think it's fine. But we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. You're right. You're absolutely correct. Um, but anyway, uh, both Monaco and Belgium do return. The season also includes the debut of Las Vegas, which has was confirmed for that good old fashioned one a.m. Eastern time. Lights out. God, why? Oh my god. Oh, and and apparently. Um, it's like three times the price to get a hotel there now. Um, as if that wasn't bad enough. Uh, so you can't afford it. You can't afford to stay in Las Vegas. I mean, you basically, you'd have to probably stay in like Carson City or somewhere. Right. I would hate to be a guy who's just got a business trip that week. Right. I mean, but if I'm like, look, we need to have this. What? Or a bachelor party. Some why guy the hell just plans I, his bachelor why the hell, party. Okay, right, right there, you're like, save your money and do it another time. <laughs> do it before, do it after. Postpone the wedding or you gotta move up the bachelor. Yeah. Postpone the wedding. I mean, well, the good news is, hopefully, I guess I guess I don't know how hotels really work because I haven't had to deal with a situation like this, but if you've already got the room scheduled, you sh- your rate shouldn't go up. It Maybe shouldn't. It they shouldn't better not. Up. They better not. Yeah. And say no, no. This was the rate when I when I got the got booked the hotel. That's what you should say. Um, but anyway, uh, the Monaco Grand Prix 
will be on the F1 calendar through 2025 as a new three-year deal was reached. Um, Qatar is on the schedule this year as well, and China returns. So we're going back to Los Sale, which I have mixed feelings on. Again, people will probably bring up, oh, but don't you remember back in 2020 when you said it might be cool, Rob? Yes, that was 2020. Now I've seen a race on LaSalle Circuit in 2021. Yep. I was not impressed. I don't think 2023 will be any better. Nope. Nope. I'm allowed to change my views when presented with new information. (laughs) Okay, I'm allowed to do that. Yep. Um. But China is back. China's back. I think that's that's good. That's a big market. Um, I think Chinese fans probably are are ha- have waited long enough for F one's return. Um, they have a nice facility there. It's really beautiful. I mean, I don't care what anybody says. I mean, you you can say what you want about China, but you can't say anything negative really about how beautiful that racetrack is. I mean, it's a beautiful racetrack objectively. Objectively, it's a beautiful racetrack. Yes, it is objectively a very pretty racetrack. Um, however, there is one, one, one Grand Prix getting dropped, and that's French, French Grand Prix. So Paul Ricard is gone. And the promoters are open to sharing a slot with another Grand Prix, though. So, does that make, now I, Josh, maybe you know this better than me, but does, does that basically place the French Grand Prix in a, it, it, I mean, what would they, what, what other Grand Prix would go in there? I mean, they. I think um, I, I think what you're going to see if if Belgium's going to struggle, sadly, I, I won't share too much because I think I, I want to share what I want want to uh, say fully and later on the show. But I think you're going to see the French Grand Prix pair up with another Grand Prix that is struggling to get a long term deal, and they're going to say, "Let's go in this together. You take every other year, we'll take every other year, and let's go to the FIA." and present our proposal. I I was just curious about it. I didn't really know what it meant, really. I didn't look into that. I kind of just saw the schedule and made my assumptions, and I didn't really... I didn't know much about that, so I just asked you, but... Uh, good to know. Good to know that. Um, we're going to move into some IndyCar news here. Uh, McLaren has stated that they are interested in running Kyle Busch as a fourth entry for next season's Indianapolis 500. Jenna Fryer reports that Menards is in possible sponsorship consideration. How about that? Who saw that coming? Who, I, who I, saw that coming? I definitely didn't. Uh, I mean, I, I, didn't. Well, hold on, I didn't see the Menards part. I saw no. McLaren and I saw McLaren and Kyle Busch as certainly. I mean, look at Zach Brown. Um, you've True. seen the you've seen the moves that he's done this summer. Um, I, 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 but the Menards thing was a little shocking, but also RCR has that relationship previously with Menards. Well, um, Menards and, is back under the, the Chevrolet camp now with Brandon Jones going to J- junior motorsports. Correct. And you don't know, and you don't know what, I don't know what Menards, I, I would assume Menards is a pretty solid deal with Penske, but you also don't know the extent of that deal uh, with the Wood Brothers. All right. Is it going to go down a little bit? Is this something, is this a case where. They haven't sponsored Penske in, in IndyCar since Pagano left. Correct. So I don't think is they it, so I think they would it, be open. Is this something to that Menards is potential leading candidate for a big race sponsorship deal with RCR and Kyle Bush? I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to that. That'd be a pretty good yeah. pretty good deal for Menards to 
move on over to Kyle Busch for for a while. Be, you know, put put more Menards cars in victory lane. I mean, not to say that, you know, they don't already with Penske, but and Ryan Blaney, but anyway, I just I just think that's interesting. It, I I love the way that already next year's Indy Five Hundred is we're shaping up to be even more interesting than last year's. And I didn't think you could get more interesting than last year's. Um, especially with some more news that we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, yeah. Speaking of McLaren though, McLaren has also lost team president, Taylor Keel, who has decided to leave the team on his own. He hasn't announced a new job at the, uh, or team at this point in time. However, uh, I don't know. Maybe I think if there, it, he does have another job lined up. I, I, I don't know when it will be announced, if he will announce it, or if it's with IndyCar. Uh, Brian Barnhart has departed Andretti Autosport for an undisclosed role with Aero McLaren SP. All right. Interesting. Uh, more on this later on the show, and this was pretty pretty cool, pretty big. Trackhouse team owner Justin Marks told Racer Magazine that the Indianapolis 500 and IndyCar, among other racing disciplines, are on his radar for a Trackhouse expansion, but it, he isn't in a rush to expand. However, he has had discussions with those in IndyCar. Now, this would have to happen if Trackhouse is going to expand, period, is that'd have to be another engine manufacturer. I mean, or another IndyCar team would have to cut cut back. Um, cut back, scale back one car. And as we get into this next piece of news, that might happen with Honda. But given the fact that Trackhouse is a Chevrolet team, it would probably be, have to be a Chevrolet engine. I don't know how many... Chevrolet engines they could get hold of if that um again it's one of those situations where uh I think Justin Marks is doing the right thing waiting waiting for the right time waiting for the situation if I would really 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 hope that Penske and Toyota can get something done I understand that the, that COVID basically killed that whole relate that whole growing budding opportunity between Toyota and IndyCar and shelved it, but I I hope they get something going because I think in order, just in, in in an era where Formula One is is staying you know is is staying within twenty cars, an era where NASCAR is even contracting to the point where we don't even have forty cars at Talladega enter for Talladega this weekend. Um, you know we're only seeing thirty seven or thirty eight cars I think show up for Talladega, and I think that's the lowest amount we've had for a plate race in a while. Uh, or a super speedway race now they call them sorry um i think that's it's really important for indycar to take advantage of of all this newfound interest from all of these teams that want to get in want to field drivers all of these new drivers that want want to bring their sponsorship into indycar but there's no available seats for them you know i mean i'm sure it, it, they could build a program behind a driver but they wouldn't be able to get an engine you know, they wouldn't be able to get an engine lease, and, and that's that's a big problem. So um, definitely Justin Marks doing the right thing. Um, but the biggest news, I think, is, uh, coming out of the IndyCar season period, in IndyCar right now, the IndyCar news was this news that announced uh, today, Monday morning, um, is that Jimmy Johnson has announced that he will not run full-time in IndyCar next season, despite previously being all but assured that, assuring us that he would be back for a another full season he has now decided 
that uh, he will not, and he will scale back to do his, quote, bucket list races. Johnson cited his 2022 schedule was more demanding than he initially believed, and he did not feel as though he could give 100% as a full-time driver, uh, with given just his age, his family commitments, and everything. Um, Johnson has, however, left the door open to continue to run the Indianapolis 500. He's also expressed desire to do the double, um, the Indy Charlotte double. I think Nathan Brown mentioned the fact that it's possible that Johnson doesn't do the double next year, but does do it in the future. Um, obviously, Carvana is behind him no matter what, and I think Carvana will just sponsor him no matter where he goes. For now. Um, for now, for a, as long as they're around. I haven't checked their stock lately, um, so I don't know. So I'll have to look at my Robinhood account later, but I did invest in Carvana, thank God, but um, <laughs> I've invested in some other companies that have tanked as fast as Carvana, but that's that's for a different different podcast uh, topic. But um, yeah, Johnson is basically, he, he's got to do other things. So I've seen him be linked uh, to, you know, wanting to run uh, the project, uh, the garage, the, the garage 56 entry at, um, at, at Le Mans for NASCAR, um, especially since the NASCAR schedule was released and they don't have that Le Mans weekend off. I think Jimmy Johnson was really, really interested in doing that. And he did talk about the fact that his family does enjoy traveling. And so that's why he was like, okay, well, my family enjoys traveling. I'd love to take him to France, to Le Mans, while he goes and runs Le Mans. And they can do whatever they want to do, if they want to go watch him or run off in, in their, and see France, whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's he's got some bucket list races. So I guess it looks like he wants to do some NASCAR. He wants to do some IndyCar. He wants to get to, continue to do some sports car racing. Um, but he just doesn't want to do it full-time. Um, and I understand. I mean, you get... You get to that age, and and I think Johnson is still obviously competitive. Um, he's still competitive. We saw it in Indianapolis how well he ran. We saw it at Texas how well he ran, uh, how really ran there. We saw it at Gateway how well he ran there. Um, he's still competitive, and I think if he just ran the IndyCar ovals next season and just focused on those, I I personally think he'd have a lot better clout in IndyCar than he does right now with fans. Because I think the worst thing of the matter is. We we posted something on the on Indy Star today and and about about this news right. We put Nathan's story out, and in my job, you know, is is working with the digital side of things, reading reading some of the comments. Every time you post a Jimmy Johnson story, the comments are always about how the fans or these people think he's he's terrible or he sucks or he shouldn't be out there or he shouldn't. And it's like you people are so mean. You guys I think him so mean. I, Did you guys do this to Dario Franchitti and Sam Hornish when they went NASCAR racing? No, you didn't. You didn't do it. Or maybe you did, and in that case, well, you're still a jerk. But my goodness, people, like, can you not let these people try try new things? You know, and not everybody is gonna be Tony Stewart and just be able to miraculously know how to drive multiple styles of cars and do it really well at a super high level. I mean, th- that generation only, c- that, that type of talent only comes around once in a generation. It doesn't matter how many, I mean, it, it doesn't matter how many championships they've won and won uh, in their respective discipline or not. I mean, switching disciplines is difficult. Uh, Tony Stewart, again, is like A.J. Foyt. I mean, he's literally once in a generation. He's like the Mario Andretti, once in a generation. Oh, well, Mario and A.J. were kind of in the same generation, but you get my point. The point stands. Jim Jam, 
Jim Jam it should be able to go out there and race where he feels competitive. And that was one of the things that he he stated to the AP in and also in his uh, kind of release, I guess, with this reinventing the wheel that he came out on. That's where he announced this. Um, but basically, he was just like, you know, if he doesn't feel like he can, he can give the team 100%, then he doesn't want to be out there. And that's a completely noble and understandable perspective to take. And I think if he's only going to focus on the races he can give 100% to, I think that's just going to make for a better and more competitive Jimmy Johnson when in the races that he does run. Yeah, I think the you know the first thing that came to my mind is, you know, it, it's tough to... I think he saw some of these open-wheel guys, or guys who came from just a different discipline into NASCAR. And NASCAR is not like any other discipline out there. Um, you know, the closest that it is, is it would be supercars. And... And Marcus that's Kemper, a very, very different, yeah. fundamentally different style of race car, style of racing, everything. Yes. So, I and I think Marcus Ambrose, I think if he would have had a better team, I think he would have been more successful. I, I, full, I wholeheartedly agree with that. But he looks at some of these other open-wheel guys, like okay, Cornish. You know, Hornish took forever to, like, find his footing in NASCAR. And by then, damaged goods. And was really only able to compete for a couple of Xfinity Series championships, which he just fell short a couple times on. I think he's thinking of, you know, you're certainly thinking about your reputation. I'm sure this came into effect. Look, I've given this two years of road course racing, and I really haven't moved the needle. He, there are certain places where like, okay, yeah, year over year, you were, you were better. But you were still two seconds off the pace. You found a second. I think that certainly played a role into this. Whereas on the ovals, like you mentioned, he's had, he's had great success. He's done really well there the this season. And I hope he does it next year. I hope he races Texas. I hope he races Indy, Iowa, and Gateway. If there's any more ovals, ovals I hope he races them too. Um, God, I hope we're going to Milwaukee or something. Yeah, so I, 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 um, I applaud him for, you know, at least admitting, you know, this was too much. And even if it's whether it's 100% the truth or a little bit of smoke and mirrors verbiage. Um, I, I, I appreciate, I appreciate what he tried to do with IndyCar and um, that doesn't get, that doesn't get enough credit. I don't think sadly. And I think it's just because he didn't come out of the gate. Finishing top 10. And I and I'll admit I thought he I thought year two here he would have had a drastic improvement, but it just showed that it's hard. IndyCar is hard. Take, and, and, take note, and FIA, so, take note. Yeah, no kidding, right? And something else to note here, and this was this was in a most recent article by Nathan Brown on the Indy Star. Full disclosure, I do work for Indy Star. Used to still subscribe for me, also for Nathan. Uh, it's like a dollar for six months right now. I'm not sponsored by IndyStar, but I'm just telling you that. Just don't just being a messenger. Uh, anyway, um, he uh, put out a story and he said, well, but basically said um, that there was some questioning behind. Now that Jimmy Johnson has announced this, it's kind of thrown a bit of a wrench into some of the silly season plans that we thought were already um, set in stone. Yeah. So Chip Ganassi now has to start and wonder, okay, are we, are you going to keep this fourth car still around and run it and run it full time, 
or are you going to give it up? And if they decide to give it up, then that's an extra engine lease that someone else can have. And he, he mentioned that Dale Coyne is someone who wants to run a third car, who probably has a, dr- a funded driver to run a third car. Just the fact of the matter is doesn't have a Honda engine lease that he can use, and a spare one at least. He already has two. He'd like a third, um, and he doesn't. There's not he's not available to get a third right now, uh, so if Ganassi shuts shutters that for, that fourth car for Johnson and only runs it on select races, then that engine lease would go to uh, to Dale Coyne, basically. Dale Coyne would would pick that up. Uh, as of right now, I guess neither parties have spoken. As of the the writing of that, neither parties have spoken. Um, still, if you want more information on that, read the story. But that's basically what's what's done now. Is there's a bunch of stuff within the IndyCar paddock that is, is kind of going to change because we were looking at Chip Ganassi saying a couple of months ago that his IndyCar team was going to be the same lineup next year. We went through a couple of, uh, of, of months where that was thrown up into the air. That we didn't know if that was going to be the same. And now we find out, oh, it is going to be the same. And then now this morning we're like, no, it's not again. You know? So it's yeah. just a lot of changing p- parts that, need to get sorted out and will probably be sorted out hopefully over the course of the silly season but we'll keep that we'll keep you all updated on that um and we will move on into some nascar news because there's some interesting and fun nascar news here to talk about uh starting off with uh some stern bombs from the sbj sports business journal reports that junior motorsports is still considering an expansion into the nascar cup series a 20 million dollar charter price tag is not a deal breaker according to kelly earnhardt but the decision to go cup racing is still 50 50 interesting kind of evolution there obviously it's going to be tough to acquire a charter at 20 million dollars um and who would be willing to give it up is the big question uh, what team is looking to contract rather than expand? Well, I don't know right now. <laughs> you see a lot, a little bit more expansion happening within teams, um, which is annoying because the field size isn't getting bigger. Teams are expanding, but the field size isn't getting bigger. It's staying the same, and that's something that bugs me about modern NASCARs. I wish the field size actually expanded and got bigger when new teams were announced or charters added to the to the tally in 2025 please like literally joe gibbs hiring carl edwards and starting up a whole fourth car for him like that would not happen as easily in nowadays like he would have to have gone and paid all this money for the charter and had to have gotten it from somebody who probably didn't want to sell but couldn't refuse the offer it just it, it makes things so much harder, and it, it bothers me when you see teams like Junior Motorsports have to weigh these this option and be like, okay, well, it costs this much money to get in, but that guarantees us this, but we still have to have the money, we still have to have the resources, we have to hire the whole new team. You know, we don't don't have to necessarily worry about Fab Shop guys anymore, but you know, there's a whole bunch of people, a whole new crew you have to 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 get on board, a whole new car you have to learn, and you have to hire people that have experience in this car and. Maybe it's a little bit easier with the next-gen car, everybody coming in with kind of a relatively equal playing field, but even then, it's tough. Um, kind of would like to see a some more open cars. you know. I, and honestly, that's, that's, that's one of the things, is too, is I sit there and I think is, I feel like you could run an open team in NASCAR for at least a season. And not really, I mean, like, like, like I said, are 40 cars showing up every week? No. 
I think um, yeah, I don't I don't know how it works if you only have one open car compared to four. If that one open car gets more money, that gets the whole four car open deal money allotment. I don't I don't know how that works. That's the big problem. Is that like well that that's what people are saying. Well, if 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 a BJ McLeod were to sell, which I don't that, think he's gonna do. If he were to sell and get twenty five million dollars, that will fund him well more than what he's doing right now a season. But your chances of getting another charter are slim. You know, but, and, and how how is BJ even going to get any money to to grow the team? I mean, you take that that, that initial investment, that, from, you take that initial investment from selling the charter. Yeah. And but well, once that runs out, I mean, you're at a disadvantage from everybody else. How much do you think he's spending right now, though? On a season, I'd be shocked if he's spending fifteen million dollars a year. I'd, so he, I'd be surprised if he wasn't at the very least breaking even. I mean, uh, th- that's true too. I mean, let's say he's let's say he sells a charter for twenty five, and he's and he says, okay, I'm going to bank ten, and I'm going to spend ten million on this or uh, fifteen million on the season. All right, and then the money we get from prize money is 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 just kind of it's is it. It'd be less, but it will recoup a little bit of your loss. And then you still go out there to try to find sponsorship dollars, but you have $10 million sitting in the bank. I don't think that they're going to leave $10 million sitting in the bank if they sell it for $20 million. I, mean, I don't think so either. I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to pull the Spire Motorsports way of thinking here. Say, look, look we're going to budget our season for a, for a last place finish, and any money we, we make on top of that is we're, okay, let's, let's, build that, let's build that reservoir of money. That's why the Daytona victory for Justin Haley a couple years ago was so big for them because they got all that money that they weren't expecting, and they banked it. So... I mean, yeah. it could work. I mean, I'm not saying. I, I just don't think he's going to sell yeah. the charter. I feel oh, like I him and I, Matt I, I don't, has, have yeah. really tried to build that team kind of for the future. And you know, I, I, BJ's got his Xfinity teams, but this Cup team is like it, it. It feels like his his baby. You know, those Xfinity teams are nice. They're cool and all. They're where he can go and run run races and and hire people and employ people and 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 you know, do all that stuff. But this cup team with Matt Tift is like his baby. And I don't see him selling that charter, no matter what he's offered for it. I think he, he wants to see this team build and grow. And even if they're running 38th every week, like you said, with the Spire situation, I think it's, it's much better for them to budget that way. And if they finish better, they finish better. Great. I mean, I think what have they been, they've been running, they've been running some pretty decent road course guys. Yeah, road courses. That's where they have the most success. Yeah. So it's not like it's impossible for them to to do it and to to make that, especially when you have those road course ringers that are really really good. You kind of at your disposal and are not saying they're willing to drive for free, but they're almost willing to drive for free. You know, they get that deal put together. Um, just I don't know. You know, I'm I'm just I just have I have I'm skeptical. I because everybody points to like. Not necessarily just you, but a lot of people point to BJ McLeod selling his charter as like how Junior Motorsports get its in, and what, I but what, just don't what, think BJ is going to sell it. At what point the though is. are you stupid to turn down the money? Um, yeah, there's probably a threshold. There's a limit there, but whatever that threshold is, I don't think Junior Motorsports is going to offer it to BJ. I don't think they can personally afford it or want to. I think if 20 million is the asking price. I don't think I think BJ will likely decline. 
and just be like, no, we want to continue. That buys it. It could be twenty three eleven. You're right. Either way, whoever is is offering, I think unless it's some colossal, astounding money that makes so much financial sense, I just don't think he sells it. I personally don't see BJ selling that that charter. I think he's worked too hard to get it to to just let it go for this soon. Um, but I will talk about another open car that's really, really neat and something really, really fun that we'll talk about. This is the last piece of news for the for the day. Um, the current Supercars point leader, defending Supercars champion, two-time and defending Supercars champion, assuming presumptuous 2022 champion. I mean, he's basically going to lock it up at Bathurst. If he doesn't, I'll be surprised. Um, has revealed... Shane Van Gisbergen has revealed he has been in talks with Justin Marks and Trackhouse Racing for a potential Project 90 run one ride and Cup Series debut next year. SVG stated that the major holdup, much like with fellow Supercars competitor Brody Kostecki running NASCAR, regarding a formal announcement has been the wait for the 2023 Supercars schedule, which is ex- is expected to be revealed around Bathurst weekend. Don't really know when the Supercar schedule is going to be dropped. We do know that it's it's coming soon next couple of weeks we should see it they said around bathurst weekend so i'm going to take their word for it uh but by that point if there's openings between you know if the nascar schedule and the supercar schedule have some uh some openings between the two well obviously the nascar schedule won't have any openings but if the supercar schedule has has some openings um you could probably see svg shane van gisbergen in a nascar cup series car which would be just fantastic. I think. I think to me. I think um, it's really. It's it. It it shows. This is this is also my opinion. I think we need to send more Americans down down under. I mean, we're we're taking all of their. I mean, we got Brody. We've got coming over. We've got SVG now wanting to come over. We took Ambrose from him for several years. We've already taken. Take, we've taken McLaughlin from him. You know. I think we should send one of our guys down down under and have them do. I think. Um, uh, I think what we should have, we should do is, we should send someone down to run the Gold Coast 600 again. We should send, we should do that. We should have the international drivers come in uh, down the Gold Coast again. I don't, I don't know why we stopped doing that, but or I know why we stopped doing that. But they should do it again. They should do it again. That's what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, really, really cool. The idea of SVG coming in and running a Cup car. I mean, I texted you this, Josh, as soon as I heard about it. I was like, holy cow. This is happening. I was like, oh, okay, okay, it's happening. It's happening. You know, <laughs> I was like, man, SVG, put him at Watkins Glen. Let's see what happens. You know, <laughs> I want to see this. Just put him at Coda. Put him Put him somewhere he's been before. Like, at Coda. He's like, he's been here, like, you know, in, in a car that's relatively somewhat similar to what he, he'll be driving next year. Yeah. Um, just, oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. So I'm so excited for this. I'm excited for him. I'm excited for Brody. Um, I I just I love it. I love it. I I love seeing seeing this happen. I think that I think it, I think Supercars fans should still be excited for about about this no matter what. Uh, I think it'll be really really cool to see SVG uh, behind the wheel of a Cup car. And I think I think it's this is my personal opinion too. But I think that Supercars and NASCAR are just two of like the coolest. Like I don't I. I say this term loosely, but like niche motorsports, like, you know, most motorsports fans, like the snobs or whatever, are like all about like, 
like F1 and, and, and like Le Mans and stuff, or sometimes IndyCar. But then like all the other motorsport fans, they're seen as like lower, not lower class. I don't want to say lower class, but like not as snobbish, I guess, like NASCAR and supercars. And yeah. then whenever I see like there be a crossover between the two, it always seems like so natural. It seems like perfect, like a match made in heaven. Like there, there need, I wish there's more cross promotion between these two series because I think NASCAR fan, this is always, this is also very funny to me. This is something that I've noticed is NASCAR fans, when they watch supercars races, they're, they're adamant that supercars puts on the best show on the planet, right? NASCAR fans always, they, they love to watch supercars. Like they, they, harp on this racing i mean i do too but and then and then you see supercars fans and they think nascar they think their own product supercars is boring now they think it's it's boring no there's not enough passing it's too there's too much strategy or all this and stuff not stuff and then they say oh nascar is so much more exciting nascar is so much more exciting but the nascar fans over here will tell you it's like no it's not <laughs> or at least the last couple of years they tell you no it's not <laughs> what are you talking what kind of racing are you watching you know They'll they'll watch like uh they'll watch oh gosh what's some terrible some awful boring race at Auto Club Speedway two thousand nine and the Aussies will be like oh that was fantastic and every NASCAR fan will be like no that was awful and then we'll watch modern supercars races and that was awesome the the Aussies are like no it's bloody awful <laughs> all right well okay well I'm gonna stop you there Rob. <laughs> Because I don't okay. think you can do a better Aussie impression than that. So let's move on to the feature paint scheme. <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, I've insulted Rob, and then he pulls out the the Aussie accent, which is actually was, was I thought was pretty solid. I hope you guys agreed. Let us know. Let us know. Uh, featured paint scheme. Uh, we haven't done this one before yet. The 2017 Verizon IndyCar series. Gosh, I should have seen this one coming from you, Rob. Um, tell us, tell us your pick that if anyone who's listened to this show long enough will understand the driver and the team owner are probably in your top five mentions as far as IndyCar history. It's just, this is true. This is true. Um, the driver I talk about more so because I love to pick his brain. Um, every time, every time I talk to him, I love to pick this guy's brain. I mean, it, it, I learn something every time he speaks and that's, I feel like every media day, you just, I wish I could just hang around him all day. Uh, but J.R. Hildebrand's number 21 preferred freezer services, Delara Chevrolet for Ed Carpenter Racing is my picture pick for the feature paint scheme. A lot of people might look at this and be like, Rob, this is a, this is basically a white car and it's got these gross little orange like highlights on it like what is wrong with you and i'm like okay i get it i get it it might not be perfect it might not be perfect but i like it i like its simplicity i like its color scheme and i like the fact that it's this this was something this this i actually have to talk about preferred freezer services this is one of the weirder cooler stories i have to tell uh, about this paint scheme specifically but then also about this company as this company never advertised before like this company had zero, like preferred freezer services. This this is what I learned. This is what I learned one time. They, they never advertised, and they their owner or whoever this marketing CEO I can't remember someone in marketing can't remember his back specifically, but someone within the company just fell in love with with IndyCar racing. Like went to the five hundred and just fell in love with 
absolutely fell in love and immediately wanted to get involved in. And they were like, okay, let's do it. And they hung on with, they, they struck this deal with Ed Carpenter. They struck this deal with J.R. Hildebrand. They sponsored J.R. Hildebrand for a couple of years, several Indy 500s and Indy Grand Prix as well. They also had a giant polar bear outside of their garage area, which was also really cool. Um, it always marked, you knew exactly where the ECR garage was because there was a giant polar bear out front. So if you couldn't find the ECR garage, just look for the giant polar bear. That's what that's what I would tell people. Like if someone would be like, you know where Ed Carpenter is? Yeah, look for the giant polar bear. <laughs> you know, you got a bronze badge or whatever. That's what that's what you do. Um, but this was one of the this this was this is so cool because how often do you see a company that's not super big, not like super multinational company, not really advertise and decide, oh, I love this racing thing. Let's advertise in, it with racing. That's how we're going to grow up. And it worked. It weren't preferred freezer like preferred freezer services like they they got a huge spike in business from what I understood with the sponsorship. It actually played out pretty well for them by the time they the the partnership ended. It actually did very well for them. They got a yeah. a very good uh, end of their deal out of it. Um, but the the car itself always it it I like it because this is going to sound awful, but when you think about a cool car. Mm-hmm. A car that you're, you're sponsoring a freezer service. You got to make it feel cold, and the colors that it used. I don't know if it's the shade of blue or maybe it's the shade of white or whatever it is, but those colors to me look cold. Like I feel, I always felt like when I was watching this car go around IMS, I always felt like if I reached out and I touched that car, I feel like my hand would would be cold. Like the car itself would be cold, you know. I never expected that car to be hot for some reason. You know how I'm, you know what I mean? Like that's, that goes to show just how effective this simple paint scheme really was. I'm, I'm looking at it right now and I, I would describe the white. And I don't know what the actual color code and color. Bob made. Ross would know. I don't. You're right. But I'm going to go with, I'm going to call it white ice. And that's kind of how I would label the, or frost. One of the two frost may be in a stretch, but like something like that, it, the white does pop more than just a regular white. It doesn't look like the body panel. They got it and they like left it the way it was. It, they, they definitely wrapped it. But then the blue has that sparkle and that little glimmer to it that, yes, it does look cold and it does look. I, I, I think you I think you've nailed the description of getting the paint scheme. To correlate with the sponsor really well. And and the reason why I also like this is and I and I know a little bit about this company was because when I was in in high school and I we we used to do we'd always skip on carb day right um, and my dad knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy and usually on carb day we're able to get us like tickets up into the in, into the pagoda right. So I got to go up into the pagoda, and it just so happened the suite that we were in was the Ed Carpenter suite, which held all of like the executives from preferred freezer services. And I remember I and and this is this is how I, and and maybe this information is incorrect because of who I got it from, but I was sitting there and I remember I was just watching the cars go in circles, and 
you know, all of the, the executives are, are like talking and they have their like, you know, it's, it's obviously it's like, it's like 11 o'clock and, you know, they're drinking their, their fuzzies vodka already. Right. Uh, Cause that's who was sponsoring it. I remember it was like a fuzzies vodka suite. That's what it was. Um, but one of the executives like daughter comes around and just being a little girl, just like out of curiosity, just sits down next to me and just starts telling me all about who she is telling me introducing herself to me like i did not i did not prompt this little girl i did not notice this little girl she just comes and sits right down next to me and just starts talking to me and she was telling me like that's my daddy and he works for the business with the polar bear and he really likes racing and they were like she they really like jr he's really nice to me or something and i I just remember, I'll never forget that interaction. And I was like, okay, thank you. Thank you, little girl. I didn't ask, but that's kind of cool. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm trying to watch this race. I'm just going to slip out you know, for a minute. But yeah, no, it was really, it was a really fun, fun experience. I got to, I got to do that a couple of times. It, I don't even know how, to, how we knew a guy, but we knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy. And that's how, me who has never worked with preferred freezer services was up and got to sit in the same suite as a bunch of their executives so i figure i'll as a thank you to them i'll shout their name out on this podcast when revisiting their indy 500 sponsorships well i went with one that you know if you've watched this this or watched you've listened to this podcast enough um is one of my favorite color combinations and i've actually probably chosen this sponsor in a car before um whether it be this series or nascar um black and green if you haven't figured it out yet it's uh juan pablo montoya's number 22 fitzgerald glider kit chevrolet for team penske yes black and green there should be a song named black and green not just black and yellow um all black. Yeah, I mean, it was all black. All black with just some green accent lines. The number 22 was green, and the accent on the 22 was green. Uh, I mean, that that lime green, maybe maybe not quite fully lime green, but you you know you know the colors. If you've watched, if you've watched any car, you've watched NASCAR with, with Team Penske, you know, you know the green I'm talking about here. Now, this was... You know, Montoya was a was an additional entry here for the team, um, for Team Penske for the month of May, and he drove the twenty two because, uh, well, Simon Pagano won the championship the year before, and it was driving the number one, so that left the opportunity for Montoya to drive the the twenty two. It was kind of a natural fit. I always wondered though, let's say let's say Pagano or Team Penske driver didn't win. The year before, wonder what number Team Penske would have gone with uh, instead. Hmm. I like very good question. I know. I I I kind of I want to see that alternate universe. What what's the fifth car number that he uses instead? I don't think they would have been able to revive the six. So no six with seventeen. I'm, would that have been with um? I'm not sure. I think that would have been with someone else by that point. But I don't think I want them to go with the with the six. I I, I think I'd, I'd I'd want them to go with um thirty one. Thirty one would be cool. Al answer throwback. 
Well, I'll answer that or um, NASCAR nod, which he pro- Team Penske wouldn't do the O2. No. At cool See, it would don't. be. No. I know you don't like that. Anyways. No, let's I mean, I said it would be cool, but no. Okay. Well, I, again, he drove the number one, it, or number 22, excuse me, because Simon Pagano was in the number one. And uh, at the Indy GP, uh, JPM started fifth and finished 10th. And at the 500, he fared a little bit better, far better, actually. He started 18th and finished 6th. So, not a bad three weeks, two and a half weeks for uh, the Colombian. And, uh, you know, I'm always going to like those. Oh, I don't care. I just about, I've never bought a Fitzgerald Glider Kits diecast. Primarily because I haven't been able to find the one I really, really want. And um, it's the it's the green with the black, not the black with the green. Keselowski number two car in the cup. Is that the car that was announced alongside this one? It's possible. It's possible. Because I not think sure. when I was on J Ski, or no, when I was on Open Wheel Thirty Three, sorry, I think I saw like a promo of uh, this car next to a cup car that was Keselowski's at the time. Well, I search Fitzgerald. Brakoslowski 2017, and it is the green, mm-hmm. the green base with the black Penske flame arrow things. We've I never got really something right. Never really zeroed in on that. That that what to call that? Anyways, back to the show. That was the featured paint scheme segment for this week, 2017 Verizon IndyCar Series, and going through there not to start something, but gosh, we were reminded how ugly some of those those rear. Wings looked. Wow, I guess I'm the only one who liked the arrow kits. <laughs> I mean, I, I would have a problem, but I'm like, could you have made it a little more aesthetically pleasing? Don't anyway, care. I, I love the fact that indie cars look different from one another. It was the first time in a decade, basically, that indie cars had looked different from one another. That's, and, that's true. And it was about darn time. And that's why when they put those in, I didn't care how ugly they were. I was just glad that there was there was a way you could tell between the difference between a Honda and a Chevrolet, because that's that was basically the big identity factor was what engine you ran, right. even if it wasn't like a different chassis. You could it 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 put some some uh, it, uniqueness back in the series. It, it kind of took away the spec of the series for a while and i appreciated that don't care how ugly they were i was just glad to not have a spec series for uh three years fair enough but let's move on to the upshift downshift segment because we got a big slate of questions here this week some things we just could not leave out and uh we felt it was best to talk about it here as opposed to other parts of the show upshift downshift for those of you returning listeners, you know what's going on, whether you've been here a couple weeks or a couple years with us. Upshift, you agree, downshift, you disagree. Go to the neutral because it's a mix. If you don't really want to label it, I upshift this, I, up, I downshift that, or I do both. You want to throw it in a neutral just to kind of wrap it up in a little bow. Or you just don't have enough information presented in front of you that... You can't make a decision or you just don't care. It happens. It, 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 we try not to, we try to care about every question, but sometimes, sometimes it does happen. So let's kick it off with question number one. 
right here. First of uh, first of nine, William Byron spun Denny Hamlin intentionally as the pair slowed down for the Martin Truex Jr. caution. Do you upshift, downshift, drop? He, he totally did it on purpose. I mean, the onboard showed he sped up. You, you, the onboard showed that the engine, the ref spiking right when he got to him. I mean, he totally did it on purpose. I mean, how do you not upshift that? Yeah, I don't know how you don't how you don't upshift it. I think it's a major miss um, by the tower and the replay capabilities um, in the moment. Uh, when you look from the overhead one, you're like, ah, oh, I can give him a pass. But then the onboard one just is like, if you meant to love tap him and say, look, hey, man, I didn't appreciate that. Knock it down if not just one or two notches, but like three or four or five, because yeah, that was, that was not good. And I think Chris Gapehart and Denny Hamlin have every right to be disappointed. At the very least, they should have got their spot back. If not, William Byron should have been sent to the back with him. And so, NASCAR claims they didn't see it, quote unquote, is what they, they told the, the media. They quote, didn't see it. And that's the other thing that bothers me is the NASCAR, they, the NASCAR, they tell the media, the drivers have to find out through the media. That's terrible. That's a terrible way to run a, run any kind of sporting series. They need to quit why. putting people in front of the camera right away. As bad as that sounds, they need to like, okay, we need to review what we did and come out and say, okay, here's what we did. Here's what happened. Here's what we did right and wrong. And here's how we're going to prevent it from happening in the future. And here's how we've addressed it. This is happening way too often in my book. Next question. The FIA uh, stated that the inaugural Las Vegas Grand Prix will begin at 10 p.m. Pacific time and 1 p.m. Eastern time. 1 a.m. Eastern. 1 a.m. Excuse me. Yes, 1 a.m. Eastern time. And so that would be, you know, 8, 7, 6 a.m. across Europe. Uh, certain parts of Europe. If it's not daylight savings, it's f- like it's literally six in the morning in the United Kingdom. Yeah, yeah. Fall, I'm not you fall back. So it actually might be seven a.m. in the United Kingdom when the, when this goes down. Could, could oh, like that's any better? I, well, it is. It, it is a little better. It is slightly better. So do you upshift or downshift this decision, Rob? No, I downshifted because, like I said, it's on at a terrible time for literally the entire world. It's on at a bad time for the entire world. Like, the only people this is on at a good time for are the Australians. Australians and New Zealand. Congratulations. And Japan and China. Singapore. Singapore. Sure. That side of the world. Everybody else. The European audience getting up way too early for this. Um, probably get a cut into whatever soccer match is on, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, if, Sunday, it, if, if we're in like Eastern Europe, you're talking about like 10, 11 a.m. on a Sunday morning, probably, probably people are doing one of two things. They're going to some sort of church or they're watching soccer on TV. I don't think they're watching... I mean, if they're watching this F1 race, it's because they're F1 fans. I don't think you're getting any casual people watching that, personally. But that's Eastern Europe. So you're probably, I don't know how big the F1 audience is in Eastern Europe anyway. I, I Still, the point is, it's, 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 it's an easy downshift because, like I said, it's on at a terrible time for everybody. Yeah. It's, it's, 
And and they keep saying, oh, well, we wanted to make it all about the Las Vegas nightlife. I'm like, why? You don't have to do that. That's not a requirement. That's that's literally not a requirement. That was never a requirement, ever. That I mean, you, you could have. I mean, you could have held this race at. You don't have to hold it at ten up ten. You, I mean, is seven eight o'clock? I mean, it by the top by November. By November, the sun goes down by at least six or seven o'clock, right? Yep. So you can hold the race at seven o'clock or seven thirty, and it still be like dark it still give you that that nightlife appeal granted it's still a terrible time for everybody in 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 western europe but the point stands it's at a, a, in a on at a lot better time for the united states audience which is who they're tailoring this start time to yeah yeah and, and even then i mean you're not even tailoring this to this is the thing too that's weird to me is it's like most sporting events on the West Coast, they start at 7.30 local time, which is 10.30 Eastern time. Like, you're, you're, you're starting this at a time that people are not watching TV. They're not going to be watching TV. I mean, Formula One fans are going to be watching TV. But your standard people, the, peop- the, the American audience you are trying to capture is not going to be watching this. Especially on a Saturday night. Saturday night is a terrible, is literally the worst, probably one of the worst slots you can have outside of Friday night on any television network, period. I I don't know how this is going to go. I feel like it's going to backfire. If I'm wrong, great. I hope I'm I'm wrong. I hope this goes great because it'll be cool if it actually does succeed. But I, as of right now, I have really no, no reason to believe this will succeed. And I also believe it's a terrible idea. I downshift. Look, they, I think you, you kind of stole the words. If they start this race at 8 p.m. Pacific and 11 a.m. or 11 p.m. Eastern, that's a far better decision because the race, it's likely not going to rain. You're likely still going to get this race in and down in that two minute or that two hour window. So that's one at, you were ending at 1 a.m. Eastern. I think it's a far better deal. That screws over Europe a little bit. But again, you're you're you say you're catering to the American audience. If you if you want to purely be dark and not in it, the sun be set, not be worrying about that at all. I think it'd be fantastic to have this. this the thing that stinks is that it is a two hour window race. It's not going to be a three hour, four hour race, a transition, a true transition race like we see here in the states with NASCAR. But. If you were to start the race and you kind of have the sun setting there in the back and on the distance there, I think that'd like be they cool. they do it to Abu Dhabi. Yeah, kind of what they do at Abu Dhabi. Exactly. I think that would be great. Um, but this Which obviously makes whatever. it makes Abu Dhabi all that more picturesque yeah. when you're starting the race at sundown conditions. And, and then when it gets when and then the race ends fully at night, you know, it. It's like okay, so we start we start at the at at dawn at dusk and we end it at night. You know, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but I was just thinking about that and how pretty that was at Abu Dhabi. Whereas the races that start at night are kind of like, eh. but then yeah. that Abu Dhabi is like, wow, that's so pretty. You know? Yeah, I I I just think they they've missed the ball on this one. I, I they must be really be thinking that they're going to get 
See, I don't think they're going to have I don't think you're going to have walk up ground anyways for this. I think the tickets are going to sell out <laughs> to walk to, up. <laughs> I, I don't think you're going to get that. So that night like, oh, what's that? We're out walking on the strip. I mean, this that's not going to happen. Um, so this is the, the start times here are just disastrous. Next question. Ty Gibbs slams into Ty Dillon near a group of working crew members and an NASCAR official. Do you upshift or downshift that NASCAR needs to make an example out of Gibbs? Oh, absolutely, he needs to. They, I upshift. They need to make an example out of what the heck was? I mean, everybody. This, I mean, everybody on Twitter seems to have the same take as as me, at least. I mean, I looked at that originally, and I was like, "Wow, that's dangerous and stupid." Um, and everybody else on Twitter is just that's dangerous and stupid. I'm sure even you, Josh, you're saying that's dangerous and stupid. Um. I understand. I, I mean, there's literally no, there's no benefit of the doubt. There's no excuse. You know better. You should know better. Ty Gibbs, you have been racing professionally for over a year in NASCAR. If you do not know not to do something that dangerous on pit road, I need to, you need to make some sort of, you know, you need to make some sort of uh, appointment with uh, a brain doctor. I don't know the official word for those, but uh, yeah, something like that. Uh, because that's not a, a smart idea under any facet of the imagination. You are on pit road. There are people that are working on pit road, and you sideswipe somebody and potentially wreck them into a group of crew members. I, I just, like, I cannot. Oh my just i can't get over how stupid this is and i I literally i'm sitting here i expect better out of ty gibbs like kid drives so like i forget how young he is sometimes because of how well he drives how good he drives he drives so maturely sometimes most of the time most of the time he drives very maturely but whatever he was doing out there on sunday was woefully immature it was childish it was juvenile it was stupid it was dangerous I could come up with so many more adjectives, but I won't. I'll turn the keys back over to you, Josh, because uh, as many times as I downshift this, I think the poor car might be over revving its engines. Yeah. I don't even know what to add. I mean, look, this is this is something where I'm not... I, I bounce back and forth on certain things, and I'm sure I've done it on the show about public shaming, but this is something that, like, okay... Do you, did you ever watch Better Call Saul? Have you watched Better Call Saul, Rob? You're asking no. me if I've watched any show that's not animated. I just now started watching The Crown because of my because uh, of my uh, British television, no, my British royalty infatuation that will surely end in a couple of months. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Um, Better Call Saul, the very first scene of that that show, on the first episode in the in the first season, all. It, it's a quiet courtroom, circa 2002. The lawyer, or is it the, 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 the defense? The, uh, the state walks up, puts a, v, uh, uh, a VHS into the VHS player, presses play, and just stands there right next to the, uh, the TV as he plays the video evidence that the, that the, that the defendants did. And that's what NASCAR needs to do. Next week at Talladega, just walk up, take the remote, scroll a little bit on the on the television, and press play, and just sit there and be like, "That's why Ty Gibbs isn't in the race today, guys." You do like that, you're gonna join him 
uh, with a vacation as well. Simple as that. It's simple as that. I get, I, I, I get, I, 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 Ty Gibbs is too good of a driver to be doing stupid crap like that. He is, he, he's with a team that should hold, in, in, in a manufacturer, and, he, and his grandfather is an owner that should, of a team that should hold him to a higher standard. And you damn well know the team's not going to police him on this one. They're like, hey, buddy, don't do it again. Don't do it again. But NASCAR? You, you think they're going to discipline someone who's saving them $10 million a year? That's my point. Like, they're not going to discipline him. They're not going to discipline him at all. So, this is, this NASCAR needs to walk him and say, this is why Ty Gibbs has a vacation this week, uh, and at the very least, the Cup Series. If he's still in the Xfinity Series, okay. But if he's at the very least, he's got a vacation from the Cup Series. That and yeah, that I mean, would. I mean, the 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 act didn't happen in the Xfinity Series, so I don't see any po- uh, banning him from the Xfinity Series race doesn't doesn't help anyone outside of maybe you know making more of an example of him or enforcing a harsher punishment, which is an option. I think it's a bit overkill. I think just a, a suspension, a one race suspension from the Cup Series would be a good way to make an make an example out of him. Do I think it's going to happen? No, it's not. Probably not. If it has something hasn't been announced or talked about yet, by now I don't know if it will. I haven't heard any. I mean, with 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 apparent with apparently NASCAR not seeing a lot of stuff. No, I man, I I'd be surprised if they even knew this happened. Yeah, I I don't uh, I don't think they knew it happened at all. If they were that concentrated on some other things. Uh, so yeah, it's unfortunate, but, uh, that's what I would do. If I was a competition director, I'd be like, look, this is, this is, this is, this is unacceptable. You keep your car straight. The only reason you turn in pit road is to enter your pit stall, exit your pit stall to avoid another car exiting their pit stall or entering their pit stall. You do not turn your car left or right in retaliation because you're mad at another driver for whatever reason. This is big boy. This is the big leagues. He could have like waited. It. He could have waited till they were off pit road and just nudged him. That's the yeah. thing that bothers me too. Is like, or, and, and I'm sure if he had just taken the time to like cool down after that, he probably wouldn't have nudged him at all. But even then, if he really wanted to send a message to Ty Dillon, which by the way I called this a tie fight. That's get it? Funny. Like. Yeah, see, no one else thought so. No one else liked it on Twitter. I'm so disappointed. I hate when my golden tweets get no likes, Josh. You need to get First Nathan world Brown. Nathan Brown to retweet you. He doesn't. He doesn't retweet me very often. Um, You're paying him. Yeah, but I called it. A, it I called them Tie Fighters. So that's no good. One laughed at that. I thought what? it was good Star Wars reference. It was a good Star Wars reference. But anyway, yeah. No, I. I feel like if if Ty. Gibbs really wanted to pay back Ty Dillon on like he could have waited until they were off pit road. Like if he really wanted to send that message, he could have waited until they were off pit road. I don't, I do not understand why he felt the need to do that while they were still on pit road. I just stupid. It's just stupid. Baffles, man. baffling for sure. All right, question four: Justin Marks is the next Roger Penske or Chip Ganassi when it comes to a multi-series ownership. Do you upshift or downshift? He's trying to be. Um, I'm going to upshift that. I think he's definitely trying to be. I think he sees what Roger Penske and Chip Ganassi have accomplished um, across multiple different series. Um, and 
even Michael Andretti, not so much in NASCAR, but across other, across IndyCar and Formula E and Indy Lights, you know, um, I think Justin Marks sees, sees that out of, out of people like that and says, okay, this is possible. You know, there are ways to do this and, and, you know, I have the resources and the abilities that I can do this too. Um, and I, I, I think that's great. I think it's, it's fantastic that he's, he's willing to, to build this team and, and, and give so many opportunities to um, young engineers, young crew members, um, to young drivers or even veteran drivers that might need one. People like the Suarez's, like the Chastain's, people that, you know, don't necessarily have big companies behind them backing them, don't have big manufacturers behind them backing them, but everybody knows that what they're capable of because they've showed it at the high level and Justin Marks has, has given them the, uh, that opportunity to show it. And I think that him expanding into IndyCar and whatever other series he wants to go into is just going to, is, is going to make all of racing better. I think if we see track house cars at the Indy 500, I think if we see track house cars at the Rolex 24, I think if we see track house cars, even in NHRA, I think it'll be, it'll just be an overall good for the racing series for the racing world. I'm going to upshift. I think he's got the vision and the business know-how and the right, uh, fiscal timing to make this, to turn his, this track house and his entertainment and the, what his vision for what a race team should be, um, into the next, uh, auto racing team empire and look i mean ganassi and penske they weren't an empire overnight it's gonna take it's gonna take years i think but i look at you know when we look at track house in 2031 compared to 2021 what's it i think you're gonna see a track house that's got a larger footprint i think you're gonna have a track house that's gonna have a footprint a permanent footprint in nashville like he wants um even though it might just be sort of like, hey, look at, come look at our business here. Look at our, our, here's what you can pay to be on this, this car, that car, this other car, this other car over here. Um, yeah. And, and even if it's sort of like just a sponsorship deal, maybe it's not just your team. You're, hey, Trackhouse is going to pay you to put our logo on. It's your job to go out there and kind of source the, source the team and, uh, and the personnel. Where the other teams like NASCAR, they they sort of team personnel. Um, I like it. I, I I I'm a huge fan of Justin Marks, and um, I, I ever since he's announced this team back in 2020, I've said this is going to be something big and special. And we're seeing that already this year. You know, they've got three wins as an organization, and I and they very well could win more, and they very could well could win the championship. And I think there's more championships in their future. In other racing disciplines, whether that be IndyCar, you mentioned NHRA, uh, sports uh, sports cars. So this this it's going to be fun to watch him uh, over, as the years progress. Uh, halfway question: Noah Graxon stated on SiriusXM after his Xfinity Series win at Texas that he did not want to compete in any more Cup Series races in 2022 due to his desire to focus on the Xfinity Series championship because he felt the risk of getting injured in the next gen car was too high. If he was not contractually obligated to participate, he would not. Do you upshift or downshift Gragson's feelings? 
it's hard to disagree with what he's saying here. I mean, I upshifted 110%. I upshifted 100%. I mean, look, you got to you got to look at it, things from Gregson's pers- pers- perspective. I mean, yes, he's going into the Cup Series next year, but his his obligation right now is to win a championship for the Junior Motorsports number 19. Yep. Like that is his goal. That is his that that is what he is expected of him. And he got this opportunity to run these cup races with Colleg. And he absolutely took the that and, and listen, listen, listen. When when Gregson probably signed this deal last last year, he's probably thinking, oh my gosh, this is gonna be the best, you know, this could be the best opportunity. I'm gonna get cup experience, you know, I'm gonna get to race in the cup series races more often, you know, I'm gonna get to get a feel for this next gen car. And it's amazing what a year does. Because now you see all of these people getting injured, all of these big, massive hits happening, or not even massive hits, but all of these seemingly minor hits, putting drivers, you know, in the hospital or in in the infield care center for a long period of time, or, or, you know, knocking the wind out of them, you know, putting them basically on bed rest for a couple of days, you know, you see all of this happening. And you gotta start thinking, man. I it, it ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. And and I'm sure Greg could, could probably go out there and he could take a hit in his Xfinity car. He could get dumped at Talladega this weekend. Take a hit in that Xfinity car, and I can guarantee you, he'd probably it, it would hurt a heck of a lot less. Probably wouldn't even hurt. He probably wouldn't even feel any soreness or pain. But if he does goes out there, same takes the same hit in the Cup car, he's gonna have soreness and he's gonna have pain. Yep. And if he has soreness and his pain and he, it's bad enough. How is he going to be able to focus in on 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 that cup on that Xfinity championship? And I think that's one of the biggest worries right now that some people are having about Ty Gibbs is is Ty Gibbs focusing too much because he's we've seen. I mean, since he's gotten behind the Cup car, his Xfinity stats have not been the same. You yeah. know, he has not won as many stages, let alone races. Um, you know, he is not the Ty Gibbs from. A couple of months ago, that we were expect we were used to seeing, and and especially when you look at that, if if, you, if I'm Gregson again, that's a championship rival that's racing in this Cup car and focusing so much attention on this Cup car. He clearly it's it's not like he's blind. He's watching on Sunday when he's not out there. He could probably see how it's affecting Gibbs. So not just is there the risk for injury, but then there's that risk of okay, is this taking away from my um, from from you know my ability to go out there and perform my highest in the series that I'm running for points in. I think really it's, but it's I think really ultimately it comes down to it's 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 less of that I'm concerned about being my best and all more of that I'm just worried about getting hurt. Yeah. Because I think that if the next gen car was not did not have the reputation that it did, I don't think that Noah Gregson would be. Saying that. I think that he publicly necessarily. I think that maybe he internally would be like, "Yeah, I'm only going 80 percent out here because I just need to focus on the Xfinity Championship, and you know, I'm going to go out there and log laps and and bank all of this information for next season. But you know, I'm not going to like prioritize this Cup start. You know what I mean? Okay. I don't think he says that. I, I don't think he feels that way. If the Cup car isn't does isn't notorious for injuring people um or and that's why hits. right right uh and and but i think that that should also speak 
huge volumes to NASCAR is your is because it, it's basically a driver who is an up and coming driver who is getting an opportunity to race at the top level who is now saying I don't actually want to race at the top level because it the risk for injury is too high. I think that should that that needs to be concerning to NASCAR. That has to be concerning to NASCAR. They had to have heard that. And if they don't react very soon to the point in which we get a much safer car when we unload in the LA Coliseum in February, my goodness, I don't I I I just I don't know if if NASCAR can take that. I really feel like you'll start to see some kind of driver exodus, some kind of I wouldn't go as far to say drivers union, but some rumblings would start happening. Rumblings would start happening. They this this safety issue has. I mean, especially with Gregson's comments. I mean, this should be concerning. I mean, anybody else, any other period of time, you never hear of a drive of a driver who's about to who's going to go full time next year not want to get that extra seat time. They always want to get that extra seat time. It doesn't matter if they're running thirty sixth. They don't care. They're going to take treat it as a four hour practice session. This is Gregson saying. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And I think that that's the most damning thing. So absolutely, absolutely upshift his feelings. Absolutely upshift them. How about you, Josh? Um, yeah, I really don't. Again, I, you, you don't have much more to add, but I will add this. I think uh, his comments are coming from a driver who, in my opinion, hasn't earned the right to sort of speak his mind. In a, in a classical sense, but this car is continuously like, okay, this is a big, this is something that like everyone has a right to speak on. As like this weekend, finally Chase Elliott found a voice, and then he responded to a Justin Marks tweet earlier today, like, holy cow, where's this Chase Elliott coming from? You know, Chase Elliott said, I really don't care what's going on. I just don't want anyone to get hurt. Other than that, I don't care. That was the biggest thing that Chase could, has has said, in my opinion, yet. Um, and, and that's that's less than twenty four hours after, well, maybe twenty four hours after Gregson did this. I said this, um, but when we saw with Martin Truex Jr., like he's ready for this season to be over. There's there's six more races left. He's ready. For, I'm ready for next year. There's a guy who is regretting signing a one year contract with with Gibbs. He is 100 percent regretting this. Now he could come back next year and the car is improved and he doesn't really regret that. But in this moment right now, he is regretting it. He's like, I don't want to come back. I, he, the guy doesn't want to come back. And, and Noah Graxon just kind of saying what I think a lot of people would like to say, but he doesn't have a cup. He can get fired from colleague tomorrow and he's okay. Right. He can get fired from colleague tomorrow. He's, he's got to, he's got to ride with Petty GMS. No big deal. Um, yeah, it's just, uh, it, it, it's a this has just been a super unfortunate situation that has turned the last two months of NASCAR into gosh, I hope no one gets hurt. That's kind of like the 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 weekend, the going into the weekend. And I, I feel bad. I there's and the drivers have every right to get to to be mad because they're the ones that's, that that's strapping into that car, right? I feel bad for the guys who have designed this car, the guy, the, the people who are who have spent so many hours building the car that they feel was safe, that they feel is going to present the best competition, and it's 
kind of not it, it, more or less it's flubbed in those this year. And the thing that sucks is, is that we still have supply chain issues in this world, sadly. And we have other people who are, we have some places that are still playing, you know, unfair schoolyard rules with economics and in and, and the uh, supply chain around the world. And changing a part is going to be expensive. And this car was supposed to reduce expenditures. And now you've got where, okay, well, NASCAR can mandate a change, but can they do it without the owner's approval? Do the owners say, well, we want to protect our wallet or the drivers? It's, it's, it's just this, it's this vicious cycle that, gosh, I thought we were exiting with NASCAR. That was just one thing, like boom, 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 boom for a decade and now it's just lingered on and has compounded more so this the past two months but also all this year and Noah Gragson I did I, I upshift his comments him saying it to, to, to put a bow on this on this question for me I, I upshift him for saying what was on his mind and if I'm in if I'm NASCAR like you know what whether I agree with the statement or not and I may not like him saying it from uh, from a PR standpoint, but I got to respect the balls that kid's got. Because we know he vomits it every single time he wins. All right. <laughs> Sorry. I, I had to end on a lighter oh, note. Oh, I had to go there. I had, had to, to go. Gross. Had to go there. All right. Next question. An active playoff driver has yet to win a race in the 2022 NASCAR Cup Series playoffs. Do you have to downshift? Upshift in that. Awesome. Love it. I love it. Make it crazy. I mean, I think it's fun. I think it's kind of fun because... It's, 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 um, how do I explain this? It's kind of putting, it's kind of got an old, it's, it's made for an old school feeling of NASCAR where you're not putting as much of an emphasis on winning. You're really, most of the guys are really going out there and straight up points racing. And I know that's like to NASCAR, that's a bad word, but to me, I mean, I was, I was kind of interested because it's, it, 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 it to me, it was a bit more intriguing because there wasn't a situation where, oh, well, if so-and-so wins, then, well, this interesting points fight is for not. Well, oh, well, whenever there's a non-playoff driver leading, now the points battle gets spicy, you know? It, it, now it's getting fun. Now, you, I mean, people can debate. Um, obviously, we can debate whether or not this system is quote-unquote fair, but... Well, if we're talking about a, a system that's exciting, I think that this is this is great because it's it's. I think it's unintentionally brought back points racing, but where because there's so much parity now that you can't bank on winning a race. I mean, if it, you you can't just bank on that and just saying okay, well we need to unload at the Roval and just be fast, and if we because you know the the way the next gen car is, I think unless you're at well, Texas and short tracks, passing is is a lot easier to do, um, and and you're not. It's not. It's not a situation where guys can just unload and put everything into like a fast setup to a fast race setup and only worry about that fast race setup. But go out there and and say, okay, well, we're gonna start first, so let's 
make a car that's going to run really, really, really well out in, in clean air and, and just bank on always being in clean air. And that's basically what it seemed like a lot of guys tended to do throughout the playoffs. Now you're not seeing that. You're seeing guys literally have two points race to stay in the playoffs by how whatever means necessary, whether it means uh, pit strategy to get stage points, pit strategy now, pit strategy to get stage points later, pit strategy to, you know, make, you know, to get stage points both times, you know, trying to, you know, get gain track position, however you, and I think it contributed to some of the tire issues you saw with at, at this weekend. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but I do think that that idea of points racing and having to take more gambles on track position, not just this weekend, but other weekend weeks so far has really made for a more interesting playoff system because like I said it's it's not one guy going out there and winning and then just locking themselves in it's everybody going out there and being like okay I need to get as many stage points as I can I need to get as many pass as many cars as I can I need to make up as many points on this guy as I can and all the crew chiefs are doing the math in their head and it's gone back to the more complex and engaging style of NASCAR rather than that simple win and you're in style, quote unquote, drama that they've created. Yeah. So for me personally, I upshift it because I think it's made for the playoffs to be more entertaining for, for, from my standpoint. I don't know how maybe other people feel about that, but that's where I'm coming from. That's why I'm upshifting this. I'm enjoying non-playoff drivers winning these playoff races. I mean, again, I don't, I love it. I think it's, it, it, it's, it's also, it, it just put more pressure. At the end of the day, it's just putting more pressure. You had three guys who hadn't won all year win in the, in the first round of the playoffs, so the round of 16. No one was locked in. Fantastic. It was all pure points, like you said. Here, no one is safe going into Talladega. I love that. I love that no one is safe going to Talladega. And the way this year's gone, the way the craziness has happened, even at at a super speedway this year, I'm not banking that people are going to go into the Roval. And we're not going to have a guy. If someone, I think, I think we go into the Roval. I think we're, if anyone's locked into the round of eight, it's going to be purely on points. It's not going to be via a win at Talladega. Um, but yes, the, the points matter. Look, the points have always mattered. I don't care what anyone says. Points have always mattered through all this playoff era. Um, it, it, it just, it, it, it's, it matters in a different way. And then now we've got the playoff points. It matters even more when, since that introduction in 17. Um, so yeah, I, I, I love this. I love what we're seeing right now. And it is making, it is just, it, that we talk about how the, the car, has had issues and it certainly made 2022 um polarizing polarizing is a good word very good word but in general 2022 has probably been the most interesting season of nascar cup series racing in a very long time and this is just adding to that story that storyline is that that the four the first four races of the playoffs have not been won by an active playoff driver, and that is fantastic. The one caveat to that that I wanna I wanna ask you about though, okay, is and this is something that I've noticed, and it is related to the subshift downshift question, is when we're talking about that style of points racing, and mm-hmm. and 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 kind of upping the urgency for a lot of these playoff drivers. I think 
do you have you noticed or maybe it's just me but have you noticed that when a lot of the drivers were talking post race at after texas and and maybe this was just because their a lot of their races ended poorly but it was also the drivers who had good finishes as well kind of having the same kind of sentiment there seems to be a lot of a a lot of resentment towards nascar going into the talladega race and the roval from drivers and when i say resentment i mean like the attitudes and the tones of the drivers it very much feels like they're not excited for this they don't want to do this like if it was up to them they would not do this and they almost seemed annoyed they it, it almost seems like these drivers are annoyed that they have to go to talladega and the roval they seem I very see. annoyed they seem very bothered by this fact and i think it's compounded by the fact that you have the risk of injury being a lot higher in this car and the fact that nobody's locked in basically the entire playoff grid is going to go in there on pins and needles on t in talladega not locked in the entire playoff grid all 12 remaining drivers are going to go in there basically with the op with with the chance that their entire season is going to be destroyed and ruined by one person making an overzealous or overambiguous move. And then Joey Logano mentions these things about, you know, super speedway racing being, you know, a lot of luck of the draw and more people and more about people winning who are, you know, sitting at the back, coming from the back, not doing much, running on at the end. You know, it really feels like that this has... This scenario, this kind of scenario has kind of like a dark side to it where the drivers seem completely apathetic to racing think, the next two races. I think that their apathetic tones have nothing to do with no one being locked in. And I didn't say it, it's because of it. It plays into that. Right, but I don't think it has anything to do with that. I don't. I really don't think it does. I think more of it is just. Again, we talked about a few, a few questions ago. The, the 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 state of the last two months. It's just been sort of like, crap. Am I going to get hurt this week? You know, and that this race here, and that Joey Logano. Joey, I don't get. I, I I don't understand why Joey Logano gets so much crap. But here, I'll give him a little bit of shade and say that's just strategy. If you want to sit in the back, and that, and I, I, if you want to sit in the back and run that race, and like I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang out in thirtieth, all right. I'm gonna let everyone else up there wreck because if you wreck, then I get to go get, I get ten free points, guaranteed, because I'm gonna finish at least there's at least twenty six. I'm gonna finish at least twenty six at the ten of you wreck up there, all right. So twenty six is more points than I would get if I was finishing thirty fifth. But I have another wreck. I'm gonna finish ahead of you guys. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that strategy. If you have a problem with that, that's just that's just the way we are in Super Speedway Racing today, given the package. If this is circa 2001, and you have a little bit more control over your destiny in a race based off the aero package, then yeah, I'd probably say, you know what? I think you're I think you're just hanging back there for no reason. But that's not where we're at, where these cars are on top of each other and that these runs come so quickly we have guys who are very 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 aggressive whether it just be their moves or their block i think they're too aggressive. Of those moves. huh i think they're too aggressive 
Well, but that's just that's also the style of these younger drivers. I think the biggest problem is is that so many of these guys, like Joey Logano, I don't know how, how old is he now. He's probably he he turned eighteen in in two thousand eight, so that means he's thirty two, something like that. He's he's a veteran. He's a veteran of the series. I don't see a I don't see, and it's sad because we I think you have a guy like Harvick, Hamlin. Kurt Busch, Mark Trix Jr., these guys who have, who are older, who have been in the series a long time, no one is is trying to be that Dale Earnhardt and say, look, guys, I'm the unified voice here, and I'm going to put my foot down on this. Or even if it's four guys, those four guys are just listed down. Look, guys, we need to make it through this race. Let's be smart. We all are out here racing to win. That is that is we understand that if I'm if I if I'm any one of those four drivers I'm gonna say that the, and me and the three others up here we understand that but we can't go out there wrecking and if we have to and if we have to go out there and sort of take a peaceful protest if you will a silent protest and run around single file for the entire race let's do it let's do it and then we go out there late in the race and let's race smart let's not do anything stupid. Because if you do something stupid, then the four of us, you're going to, have to hear from you're going to hear from us. You're going to hear from us. We're going to we're going to call you out, and then you're going to have to deal with everyone else who you wrecked. The pro, you don't have a unified voice for this, and instead they're doing all the talking through the media at NASCAR and then at each other. And I don't think that's I don't think that's I don't the think right. Well, NASCAR doesn't listen to them. I mean, every time the media asks them about it, it's like, do you talk with NASCAR? Do you talk with NASCAR? Because that's like the number one follow up question is whenever a driver rants about something, they ask him, are you going to talk about that? Talk to it about about it to NASCAR. And almost always, like 90% of the time, the drivers are always asked, they won't listen. And that's when you go out there and you kind of, and I think in this race, I think this is this is one of those few races of the year you can kind of have that statement opportunity and say, all right, if NASCAR is not going to listen to us, we're going to give them a stinker of a show. We're and I'm not disagreeing with this. I'm not disagreeing with this either. But to to Logano's Logano's point about that was not so much that it's like it's bad. Like he didn't like the fact that it was a strategy. He was talking more about the fact that it's not it's not fun for fans. Why? How is that enjoyable for fans to just watch people run around that, single file all day? Okay, but he. I don't think did he mentioned single file. I don't think he did. Single file at the back. Okay, but that's not the whole field. There's, there's maybe going to that. In reality, okay, unless, unless there is a coming to Jesus meeting, as I just outlined, there's not going to be a mass amount of drivers doing that. There's going to be a handful of guys, probably some playoff guys, who are going to go out there and hang out in the back. And whether they're above or below, they're going to take their chances that people are going to wreck. The other playoff knowing, drivers are going to wreck. How, I mean, these plate races, these plate, these super speeder races are so predictable. They're literally so predictable. You, I, I know how they're going to end, Josh. That's that's where I think a lot of the, we all know that. As Tony Stewart once said, if we haven't crashed fifty percent of the cars, do we have to extend the race until we've crashed at least fifty percent of the cars? And we we're literally doing that. I mean, what was satire in two thousand and nine has become reality in two thousand twenty two, and yeah. and since before that, and that's that's i think really where the where the issue is is like you know a lot of these drivers they're just sick and tired of not being able to control their own destiny i think they want to points i don't think anybody's upset about points racing i think the fact of the matter is they're apathetic because they're going to two racetracks that they can't control their own destiny and not anymore i mean i think there was a time 
where at Talladega, yes, you could control your own destiny. I think there was a time where that was possible. I don't think it's possible anymore. I no, think that not. no matter what you do, even if you do lay back, lay at the back all day, this car might catch fire randomly. You could literally lay at the back the whole day, and this car could just catch fire on you, and you just that's be like, true. "Well." But that that that's 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 that point where, like you're saying, they're just all frustrated that they that none of the problems have been solved. That they feel like, yes, a race at Texas of all places is is un is unpredictable. I think it's just it is it is a cluster f right now that. At the end of the year, I think there's going to be by the time the season ends in November, there's going to be more people glad it's the off season than ever before. I don't think there's going to be anyone going like, "Man, I wish we were racing next week." And if it's a guy who's saying that I wish we we're racing next week, it's going to be like, "Well, I'm glad I'm racing my late model or I'm racing my my sprint." They're car. happy to not be racing NASCAR. Yeah. All right, Rob. We got three more questions here. First one is up here is Goodyear and team share the blame for the tire failures at Texas. Do you upshift or downshift? Uh, yeah, I'm going to upshift this. I do think that it was kind of a twofold. I think that maybe perhaps I think a lot. I mean, there were there's there's been a lot of some evidence that states that teams like Trackhouse were not um, running low tire pressures, much like other teams were. I understand, however, from what I've understood, is that other teams had necessity had to run lower tire pressures for one reason or another. Um, but either way, I think the fact that Goodyear has brought a tire that can't handle tire pressures that most other teams would consider to be normal or tire pressures that are necessary for a car to do what the teams are asking of it, I think the fact of the matter is that Goodyear brought a tire like that is just un unacceptable. But yes, the teams also share some of that blame where, okay, if you're going to, if Goodyear is going to tell you, you it can't drop below this PSI and you're still going to drop it below that PSI, well, then you have to live with the consequences. Yep. At the same time, Goodyear needs to be aware that these people are going to probably run their tire pressures at a lower PSI and they need to, you know, maybe actually build a tire that can withstand that instead of just continuing to go with the status quo and saying, no, just listen to us. No, just listen to us. No, just listen to us. They're not going to listen to you. They're literally not going to listen to you. They're going to try and find an advantage any freaking way they can. And no matter how many times you tell them not to do this, they're still going to take the risk every single time. Just fix the tire. Um, Yes, both both Goodyear and and team share the blame. I don't agree with what you say that you know Goodyear needs to understand that they're going to run tires at a lower air pressure because they're just going to run it lower than that, and then you're going to have you're going to wind up with a situation where the tire won't fail, and then you're going to have a situation where the first time they on the first lap of the race they're going to run a 34 or the the first full speed lap of of a race or a run they're going to run a 34 second lap and then 80 laps into a fuel run they're going to already be running a 33 second lap it's going to be no tire fall off but they need to, they still need to examine it. i think again with this tire there's what the anything else with this car there's still a lot to learn and this is an experimental year and I, I, Goodyear's in a tough bind, as is with any tire manufacturer in America and in across the world, is that there is some sort of a shortage along the way, whether it be a supply or manufacturing or per personnel to build a tire. They can't just go wasting tires. But what 
what they could do is I don't, I'm not a fan of this because it kind of takes a little way of the strategy slash ingenuity out of it is to say, okay, if, 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 if you blow a tire and it is found that you were running intentionally and it wasn't going to come as a result of a leak or a puncture, a lower air pressure than that was advised by Goodyear, you receive a X, X penalty. Whether that be, a, I would probably say a monetary because I wouldn't take away points because you already you've already lost points by D, by DNFing. So I I mean that's the only way you can deter that. Um, but at the same time, we do need to study what's going on. Goodyear has it, it, they're in a tough spot. They get a lot of crap. They get it absolutely a lot of crap. Um, but we also need to continue to hold them to a to a high standard. Nonetheless, um, yeah, I, I, it's it's a sticky situation. I, 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 and I, I, if it was if it was purely a Goodyear situation, we would we would have had tires blowing from everybody at the same time. But no, it was certainly a setup deal, in my opinion. Um, I, it was just wild to be watching that, you know. Glad no one really got hurt as a result of it. See, it's all coming back together once again. All right, last two questions here. Uh, do you upshift or downshift the schedule alignment of the 2023 Formula One calendar, Rob? Hmm. Interesting. It's interesting. Do I upshift it? That's the biggest question. Um. You know what? I think it's okay. I don't hate it, but I'm still of the idea that I think two triple headers is is just one too many. One triple header, like like I said earlier, you know, in uh, being a flyaway race, I think that makes the most logistical sense. Keep everything on one side of the world for a couple of weeks, for three weeks, and then transfer everything back, as opposed to flying back and forth every other, you know, every couple weeks, you know, that makes sense. But having another triple header in that is just not fair to some of these teams. I mean, you're, you're spreading them so thin. We talk about, we talk about these teams, these drivers getting severe burnout. You see, you see it happening everywhere. You know, drivers and teams are just getting such terrible burnout. The fact of the matter is in formula one, it's, it's international, you know, NASCAR, NASCAR is one thing. It's cross country. You know, you're staying within the United States for the most part. You're basically always staying within the United States. Almost every trip is drivable. Whereas with Formula One, it's just not the case. I mean, you need to ship everything here however you can via, you know, an actual boat, via air, you know, however you have to get it there. Um, It's it's just a logistical nightmare and you they talk about wanting to be carbon neutral and all this stuff and i'm like well man i don't know how many carbon offsets y'all are buying but with the amount of you know travel emissions that they're no doubt putting out every single year i have to imagine that's not going to help them be carbon neutral i think personally We've reached the point where the Formula One calendar is going to be too is too big for its own britches. I think having three races in North America is too many, or excuse me, in the United States is too many. 
Um, I don't mind having a US GP, a Canadian Grand Prix, a Mexican Grand Prix, a Brazilian Grand Prix, heck, even an Argentinian Grand Prix or whatever. I don't care. I, I really literally do not care if those happen. What I care about is if we're having a bunch of other races and I don't like the idea of having, you know, races not be logistically normal. Overall, I, 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 I'm a bit neutral on it, but ultimately I think I downshift just because of the length and, and the glut of, of United States races. I'm going to downshift because I, I, I understand the logistical nightmare. It must be working with governments and stuff like that, especially when you have to deal with um, import and customs stuff. Um, which cannot be easy, and I'm glad I'm not a logistics broker for Formula One, let alone a anybody else. But I do feel like there were several missed opportunities. I understand them wanting to certain certainly spread out the calendar a little bit. Um, I do believe one of the solutions to the burnout that you're talking about is the mandating, saying, "Look." There are certain positions, such as a race engineer, the guy who's talking in the ear of the driver, the team principal, and probably a handful of others that are darn near. You got to be there every race, but for some of these, for for everyone else, I would say, look, every other position, a person can only be there twelve weekends a year, so you have to have two crews, kind of deal. But I would have started. This is going to suck, but I would have started off the year with a triple header, with moving put Qatar with Bahrain. And Jeddah. I mean, run those together, then back up, uh, and then um, maybe have a couple weeks off, and then back off, uh, back Australia, right up against China, if possible. Um, that way, you'd have two weeks off in between a triple header and your next double there. Um, you have a, you have a, uh, if you if you were able to move Qatar to the beginning there, that give you basically a month off. Before a triple header, uh, going into uh, U.S., Mexico, Interlago, uh, Brazil, you can even move those up a week, move all those races up a week, and then you can move Vegas up a week, so you could have an, a week off between Brazil and Las Vegas, and then Las Vegas, another week off between Las Vegas and the season finale at Abu Dhabi. If they're going to run this many races and they're going to kind of run it in this time frame, triple headers are going to be a part of it. It sucks. I get it. But they could they could certainly build in some more break time for teams and the, 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 the personnel, whether it be the team personnel or F1 personnel who are shipping these deals, who are uh, moving this freight because it is freight after all. Or you can't simply could have just move that Abu Dhabi race back one week too. And and ended in December. I know that sucks, but it's it's the way is it is what it is. I I'm I'm hoping that it's kind of like with NASCAR. You hope that you're able to start working on that 24 calendar now and say, look, if this if these are the races that we're going with in 24, how can we better align these races up? Right? How can we better align these races to? serve our calendar. I think the one of the biggest glaring screw ups is why in the heck is my in my why is Miami and Montreal not back to back? 
that is a huge screw up to me. I understand the tradition. Because, of, yeah, Montreal doesn't want to move their date, and Miami I know won't either. Huh? Montreal well, doesn't want to move their date. Well, that that if that's the case, it's say, look, what 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 do we got to do? Because you're part of this big deal. Do you want to continue to be part of the F1 calendar, or do you want to, or do you want us to drop you? That's where that that'd be my thing right now. You kind of got to play ball. Um, and I would butt that up again, right up against Miami in May or move my and Miami, Miami in May or June is either way is going to suck. It doesn't matter. So it may, it might be five degrees cooler. So in, again, that's, that's part of the logistical things that I would say are goals to work on in 24. What can we do? I kind of got, I downshift. I, there's no question to me. I downshift the schedule. I don't mind there being 24 races. If you can make it, if you can clean up the logistics, and you can put in, uh, in the FI Institutes, look, we are going to put in a cap on certain race positions, uh, how many they can be at a, a, a per year to help with the burnout. Um, yeah, just to help with the burnout. Just help with the burnout, keep everyone fresh, and uh, keep everyone invested in the sport in a positive way. Last question. And Rob, this one, uh, this one came to my mind really early. Do you upshift or downshift that the Auto Trader Echo Park Automotive 500 at Texas Motor Speedway will be remembered similarly to the 2008 Brickyard 400? I think you have to have more than 50,000 people to get into that kind of territory, but um, I think uh, it wasn't that bad. I mean, it was bad, but it was not that bad. I mean, I watched the 2008 Brickyard. I watched it live. That was a bad race. That was about the worst race I have ever seen in my life. I don't think you'll ever get worse than that race. I think the impact that race had on NASCAR is still being felt today. I don't think it killed the Brickyard. I think it just killed NASCAR in general. But I think NASCAR was starting to struggle a little bit before that. I But I, I think in terms of modern NASCAR, for modern NASCAR fans, yes. I think, I think perhaps they'll remember it in a similar way. Maybe not Brickyard. Oh, wait, Brickyard. But definitely like 05 Charlotte levels. You know, that race. Remember that 05 Charlotte race? Yikers. That was a bad race. Now, I remember that one. I watched that one, too. I remember exactly where I was watching that. That was not a bad race. Not a good race, either. What we saw in Texas was not a good race, but not the worst race I've ever seen. I can't say it's 08 Brickyard bad. But if I had to put it in the top 10 worst NASCAR races I've ever watched, I'd probably put it down there at number 9 or 10. So that's where I'm... That's my shift. It's kind of an, a half-hearted upshift. It's kind of like a, eh, okay, I guess we're just hitting just enough RPM to justify this shift. I'm going to um, upshift, but I'm not... It's not... It's not for the reason, you know, a direct one-to-one comparison with the Brickyard in 08. 
I think when you look at the tires, you look at the safety of the car, and it's it's questioning. You had the Cody Ware accident we haven't touched on yet. Nasty accident. Glad how they – I mean, he looked horrible after there. And then the onboard was horrifying. Me. I'm sure the onboard was horrifying. I, I mean, and, the car literally just snapped. He had zero warning. He went He went into the corner. And the thing about that was so scary about that accident was it snapped in the center of the corner. It didn't snap in a place that you would normally expect a car that was loose to snap like that. He was in the center of the corner. That thing just snapped sideways on him before he could even catch it. And as soon as he turned that, that steering wheel to the right, it wasn't even like an overcorrect. It was like more of like a minor correct. I mean, that thing just hooked went straight on into the wall. It was almost like Cody had absolutely no control over. I don't know if it was a tire failure. I don't know if it was a suspension failure, what if it was some other part failure, what it was. I don't know if the car just was loose and and Cody couldn't catch it, what have you. Either way, horrifying accident. So glad he was okay. I mean, my heart was in my, it's freaking, my my heart was in my, my throat when I saw him get out of that car and collapse. I tell you what, I'm so glad he's okay. Yeah, I don't know how he walked. I, definitely no broken bones, some possibly some sore, no fractures, no concussion. Something, someone was watching over him that day. But in that case, when you look at, so the backup, when you look at the tire failures, you look at the safety, you taking the safety of the car, the resentment of the drivers throughout the weekend, whether it be a Xfinity driver or a cup driver, um, the parts failures, the, you know, it's just, it, it's this race, I think, is going to stand out and say, look, like if, this is a turning point, and this is going to be a staple race of the year, and it's not going to be like for for the best reasons, you know. So that's why I upshift that this race will be remembered. I th- I think in in similar, we'll look upon back of it as, and hopefully, where O eight was in this negative light that hurt a very. It hurt everything. Uh, it, it, hurt, hurt everything. It, hurt, it hurt everything, and where where it hurt, it hurt Goodyear's reputation. It hurt NASCAR's reputation. It hurt Indianapolis Motor Speedway's reputation. And this one is going to, I hope, for the for again a similar reason, not a one to one. This is we're going to look back at Texas, and like this is where the conversation about improving the car got serious. This is where the conversation about uh, tires and their a durability, but also being able to put on a good show, got serious. And in in I don't I know I don't even know what a, what a C would be on that one. But it, it, again, it's just where 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 the industry came together and said, "Look, we've got six races to go. How can we make these cars safer each and every week? And how can we go into twenty twenty three and not have drivers?" thinking about this is my last year because i have this is my last year on my contract how can we continue to keep how can we keep guys like noah Gragson who are wanting to move up feel like no i think i'm gonna stick in xfinity series because eventually this platform is going to make it to the xfinity series whether it be an electric vehicle or a powertrain or a combustible engine powertrain this platform is going to get the to the xfinity series so how can we continue to improve it so all right, that was upshift downshift this week. Rob, take us through the weekend wrap up. 
Weekend wrap-up, pretty easy. Noah Gregson won uh, the Xfinity race at Texas, his fourth straight win. Uh, second driver to ever do this, the first being Sam Martin in 1983, back when my parents were still in high school. NASCAR Cup Series at Texas was won by Tyler Reddick. Reddick wins his third win of the year and his first uh, cup win on an oval. Um, outstanding performances. I'm giving mine to uh, Winamax's own, the pride of Winamac, Indiana, Justin Haley, for finishing third on Sunday. Uh, an absolutely incredible, very low-key run where he nabbed his best uh, cup finish, I think, since his win at Daytona in 19, if I'm not mistaken. Overall, I mean, it seemed like the guys who played it slow and steady all day were rewarded, and someone like uh, Justin Haley was definitely rewarded with that. I was very impressed as well with um, uh, Todd Gilliland, Harrison Burton, and Michael McDowell uh, I was actually, I was, I was sitting there. I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, I, I wasn't thinking to myself. I was thinking to myself something different about McDowell. Uh, but people were saying someone, when, when they had that rain delay, they were like, they should give this race with to McDowell to make up for constantly playing his 2008 qualifying crash every time they visit Texas. Gosh. I don't know then, how many times I saw that this week. I'm like, but okay, this is, this is a little overdone all right congratulations you've you've beat this horse to death you've overcooked this steak not not to uh not to get into a whole nother conversation but my also other thought was like man i don't think mcdowell would have walked away if he had that same crash in the next gen car i don't think he walks away i think he needs some help getting out of that car if it happens and if that same accident happens next gen I mean, he'll probably be okay. He'd probably race another day, but he wouldn't race the next day. You know what I mean? It, it's unfortunately a reality that you unfortunately have to consider. And that's what I was considering when I was watching those accidents. I was like, man, we, we took those accidents in the car of tomorrow literally for granted, and now I, I see an accident like Cody Ware, and that's somehow scarier than McDowell's tumble in 08 crazy we're going slower and we're the, the banking is is relatively lower and these hits are harder and worse it's just just crazy who's your outstanding performance josh i'll tell you what i like i like yours with justin haley um i was really rooting for him even how do you not Burton. root for the pride of winamac i was i was just rooting for winner number 20 and i thought we were going to get it there for a while with either mcdowell burton even gilliland or or or, or haley i'm like let's go let's get with winner number 20 here on the season but i give mine to nick sanchez um he finished 11th and number 48 for big machine racing i mean it's a it's a great finish at a at what is a, in past years been a difficult track um he's a youngster in the xfinity series he's leading the arc of points right now could win very well win that championship. Um, and I don't know who's going to be in this 48 car next year um, full-time, but it will be interesting to see who it is. I think the 48 team with the right driver, much like um, a few other teams in the Xfinity series, uh, such as the, the 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 26 with Sam Hunt Racing or even, even to extend a couple other rss racing cars or even the hour cars if you get the right driver in there they can they can take that equipment and win 
and uh, I, I don't know if Nick Sanchez is ready for that this that ride yet. Um, my guess is he probably will end up in the Xfinity Series next year, not the Truck Series. Um, but you never go. Maybe with uh, Kyle Busch going in the trucks with Chevrolet, he can end up there. But regardless, Nick Sanchez, 11th place finish in his second start with the with the team. Uh, that team is capable of big things, and um, even the uh, the youngster proved that. All right, let's roll into roll our featured week in racing. We are at two hours and thirty seconds here, uh, so I want to go ahead and kick this off. It is Roller's featured week in racing. Uh, in his seventh career start, Cole Custer became the youngest winner in NASCAR Camper World Truck Series history at sixteen years, seven months, and twenty-eight days. Uh, that happened on uh, September twentieth, twenty fourteen, when he won the U- UNOH. 175 at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Custer dominated, leading 148 of 175 laps. Bubba Wallace finished second. Matt Crafton was third. Johnny Sauter fourth. And John Hunter Nemechek was fifth. Future Cup uh, drivers Eric Jones, Tyler Reddick, and Ryan Blaney finished seventh, eighth, and tenth, respectively. On September 21st, 1986, NASCAR ran a doubleheader. At Martinsville Speedway, the first race was the Winston Cup Series Goodies 500. Uh, the race was comprised of 30 starters, uh, and it uh, was Rusty Wallace in the number 27 Allegard Pontiac for Raymond Beetle, who won. Uh, Jeffrey Bodine, Harry Gant, Daryl Waltrip, and Joe Ruttman rounded out the top five. The only Oldsmobile in the field was Terry Labonte, and he finished 15th. Uh, the second race uh, was the NASCAR Bush Grand National Race, the Nationwise 150. Tom Houston dominated, leading all 150 laps. I mean, that's his total domination. Uh, Larry Pearson, L.D. Ottinger, Brett Bodine, and Dale Jarrett completed the top five in the second race of that day. Uh, to date, the last Formula One Grand Prix held at Portugal's Estoril was on September 22, 1996. It was the penultimate race of the 96 World Championship. Rothman's Williams driver Jacques Villeneuve beat teammate and eventual 96 champion Damon Hill by 19.9 seconds after leading 24 of the 70 laps of that event. Uh, the win kept Villeneuve in the championship hunt. Michael Schumacher finished third. Uh, Benetton driver Jean Lacy finished fourth. And Schumacher's Ferrari teammate Irvine finished fifth. Matt Kenseth. Rob, this is, this is back in the good old days. Matt good Kenseth. old days. Nat Kenseth dominated the 2007 Dodge Dealers 400 at Dover. Who forgot Dodge Dealers sponsored Dover? I Not did. Me. I did. I forgot about that. But there was a Dodge Dealers 400 uh, on September 23rd, 2007. Uh, he lost an engine, though, on lap uh, 374 after leading 192 laps. Uh, before that, though, uh, Carl Edwards took the lead on lap six, uh, 363. Uh, and he led the rest of the way. He led a total of 95 laps. A big crash took out multiple cars on lap 387 with Kurt Busch and Jimmy Johnson, both chase drivers, being involved. Uh, Greg Biffle, Dale Hart Jr., Mark Martin, and Kyle Busch completed the top five. Uh, before Kurt Busch ran his first full season in NASCAR's Craftsman Truck Series, he dominated, he, comp- excuse me, he competed uh, full-time in the NASCAR Southwest Series. In 1999, he won the championship and included a win on September 24th at Madera Speedway. He led 30 laps in the 100-lap race. Matt Crafton led the most laps uh, at 57 and finished 6th. Casey Atwood claimed his second and final Bush Series victory on September 25th, 1999 at Dover 
uh, Downs International Speedway. Driving the number 27 Castrol GTX for Broco Motorsports, Atwood led only 38 of the 200-lap MBNA Gold 200. That's a name I don't forget about Dover is MBNA. Let's not forget that. No, heck no. Uh, the 43 starters, 12, 12 failed to finish due to crashes, plus a 13th with a clutch failure. Randy LaJoy finished second in the Bob Evans Chevrolet for James Finch. Jeff Green, Tony Raines, and Kenny Irwin Jr. completed the top five. And let's rewind it here because I'm going to go in a little spiel. On one year ago, September 26, 2021, Colton Herta won the season-ending Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach in the NTT IndyCar Series. It was Herta's third win of the season and second in a row. Uh, he had just won the previous week at Laguna Seca. IndyCar postponed the Long Beach Grand Prix due to California Los Angeles COVID-19 restrictions from April to September. The championship was won by fourth-place finisher in that race, Alex Pillow, with Joseph Newgarden, the second-place finisher in the race, also finishing second in the points. Uh, with the Indy, Indy car, we haven't mentioned it here, but IndyCar still hasn't released their schedule. We've hinted it. I, I, I said this on the podcast one year ago. I know I did because I, 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 I believe it was an upshift downshift question, but. Laguna Seca, it is very picturesque. It is, it is aesthetically pleasing. The optics, my three favorite words I just dropped here, are, are good with Laguna Seca. But Long Beach has this vibe, and it brought this energy, and it always does. And I think if it's a season-ending race, it would, dang, that's a great place to end it. I know tradition says April. I get it. I get it. But... I think IndyCar, if they're not going to end it on an oval, like Rob and I would, would both love it to. If it's going to end it on a, a, a course, a circuit that it has a left and right turn, I want it to be on Long Beach. I really do. I want to be at Long Beach because, again, that energy. I mean, the NBC broadcast pointed it out multiple times. You know, the, the rooftop, people watching it and, uh, that 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 block those few blocks were hopping. So I think this race, I, that's what I will remember most about this race. It wasn't really Colton Herter winning it or or Alex Pillow winning the championship, but it was that energy, and that's why I wanted to mention it here today because I had a sh tiny spiel that I wanted to go on, waiting for maybe a week from now we'll have the IndyCar schedule to uh, to talk about. Uh, until then, though, I'm going to dream that Long Beach is the season finale race. Rob, let's go into what's in the windshield. Let's cap off this show here. Formula One is back uh, and with the Singapore Grand Prix on Sunday. And uh, the following weekend is the Japanese Grand Prix. Uh, two weeks from now is the Bathurst 1000 for Supercard. I'm sure Rob's going to get up and watch that one to its extent, if he can, if he can stay awake. Oh, I'm not missing a lap of Bathurst. There you go. All American Speedway in Roseville, California hosts the Arkham Menard Series West this Saturday. Uh, then it has two final races on October 14th at the Bull Ring at Las Vegas Motor Speedway and November 4th at Phoenix Raceway with part of NASCAR Championship Weekend. The Arkham Menard Series has two races left. Toledo Speedway is this Saturday and October 8th, the following Saturday, is the finale at Salem Speedway. Uh, I know, Rob, are you going to go to Salem? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Okay. Well, if you do, you don't have to tell us all about it. Saturday is the Moto, Moto uh, Petit Le Mans at Road, uh, Road Atlanta, and that will conclude the 2022 IMSA Sports Car Championship season. Uh, it's been a while since they've raced. It was August. They have not raced in over a month. Um, 
But this is where their season draws to an end. Is, is is Jimmy racing in this race with it being one of the endurance races? I don't know off the top of my head. I'd have to look into that. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen if they were or not. I uh, Well, if he is, hope he does well. Hope he does well. Uh, and then, uh, as we've talked about, NASCAR heads to Talladega with the truck and Xfinity Fields racing on Saturday and the Cup Series racing on Sunday. So it's a full slate of races there. Um for them and uh, I, I talked to a few people here this is kind of off topic but I talked to a few people who they love the infield at Talladega what they've done there with that stuff so um, I'm always jealous now that when Talladega rolls around that someone is enjoying that infield experience like that and I'm not talking about um, the uh, you know the, the Talladega Boulevard I'm talking about the the, the, the new amenities that they have uh, with the garage area and the fan zone sort of behind pit pit road there so that's great Rob, anything else before we before we officially wrap this thing up? No, I think we're good. I think we should uh, give everybody uh, the Reprieve. rest of the time off. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. Let us know your featured uh, uh, paint scheme with the 2017 Verizon IndyCar Series. Um, I think Rob and I picked some good ones there. Like I said, I almost predicted that Rob would would would, well, would, would, would select that one. Not Not surprised at all. Um, but let us know about that. The upshift downshift questions as well. Uh, what do you, what do you think if you're compelled enough to let us know, Hey, you're dumb or Hey, well, you're spot on. I want you to, I want you to preach it louder. We, we certainly would love to hear that. And well, this is how you can do it. Rob is on Twitter at rpeters33, that's R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3, and I'm at roller underscore zero one, R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one, and the show is at Robin Roller, just as it sounds. R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. So, of the Jam Pack show, I'm surprised we kept it to two hours and ten minutes here, actually, because that 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 was a that was a that was a mega mega upshift downshift segment. Lots of discuss there. Lot the Texas the two Texas races in the weekend did not leave us short of anything to talk about. But uh, let's roll into next weekend with uh, some with some fun races between uh, between ARCA. Formula One, and of course, NASCAR. We'll talk to you then. For Rob Peters, I'm Josh Roller, and this has been the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Have a great week, everybody.